Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. So we want to share to you today what you have accomplished through sending us. And first of all, let me thank you first for your prayers. Uh, We felt uh, very much God's presence with us the whole week. Uh, He protected us. He encouraged us. We saw his spirit working, and we saw people healed, new babies born. So this morning, we wanted more than just a a small uh, time to share with you what God is doing in Haiti. I guess the first is the geography quiz. I asked in the first service who all had been to Haiti, and uh, it was the people in the Orange Church plus Jason. Anybody else been to Haiti? All right. So we do have some more perspectives uh, first, you've got to be able to find it, right? Well, the way we went to Haiti, we drove up to the airport and got on the airplane, and there we were. So uh, it's not far. Uh, you may be familiar with uh, this place here, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So it's right across from Cuba, all on the same island, Haiti in the DR, Dominican Republic. We flew into Puerto Prince here, the, the capital city right in here, and then drove east for about an hour. And uh, to get up to Toman, it takes another hour, so about two hours from the airport there in Port-au-Prince. Haiti is, uh, how do you say, a country in need. One of the things I learned uh, this past trip, the only country in the Western Hemisphere that doesn't have a McDonald's. So that kind of puts things into perspective. But uh, Haiti is a, a country full of people, and they're hardworking people. But uh, they don't have many opportunities. And you can see some of the things that they, they do for the economy. Uh, January 2010, the earthquake. You probably saw it on the news. We prayed for them, but we really didn't have any clue as to what was going on in Haiti. The numbers, they don't know how many people were killed. Uh, one estimate, 220,000 they don't know. They were just, they, they buried people in big, big holes in the ground. And uh, it really changed a lot of people. Uh, last year, we were able to go to the tent city in Port-au-Prince, and we walked around in the tent city. It's still there. You talk, you know, you don't hear much about it, but it's still there. People are living in those lean-tos with uh, whatever piece of fabric they can cover up the, themselves. And... Uh, Something changed when uh, Stan Buckley went right after the earthquake. Stan was pastor of First Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi. He went to see what could be done. And he came back with a vision to do something. And as you can see, uh, he started in 2011 with this vision to build a sustainable community about an hour west of Port-au-Prince. So you look at houses to move people from the tent city. You look at the, uh, the medical clinic. You look at a church, a well for the water. But they did much more uh, with the soccer fields, the uh, orphanage. They added an agricultural missionary back the first of this year. Uh, last year, we helped build a playground. Last year, we worked to help get the orphanage ready. Uh, and... This year, we can see a lot of difference. 
Here's kind of the architectural rendering of the Hope Center. And uh, to kind of put things into perspective, this is the, uh, the compound, the missionary compound, medical, the church, the orphanage. And here's the hillside with houses. And I think they're up to around 50 houses up on the hillside. It's getting crowded up there. Uh, they haven't stopped, though. They, they were, had more houses scheduled after we left. Uh, we ended up building about a mile away in a, in a neighboring village. But the only thing here that is not completed yet is this job training center. Uh, the focus is now shifted to Toman. And uh, last year we did go up to Toman and did a medical clinic. We did vac- uh, Bible school to the kids up there. And uh, we got a sense of what it's like living in that environment. Uh, Here's a shot of all of our uh, team that, that went. And every time we made a picture, we always had a few of our extra team members join in. And uh, you can uh, see some of the smiling faces there. Uh, Roz joined us from, uh, from Jackson, Mississippi. She goes to church with Kent and Dale. And uh, Julie and Kendall and, uh, and uh, there's this other, other Banks kid back up there. And uh, his, uh, his lovely, uh, they were engaged, right? Yeah, I think so. Engaged. So uh, just a, a start to see what we did. We left on Saturday and uh, arrived in country. Uh, and then Sunday we actually, I have to com- confession here, we, we began work. Uh, and actually we broke two of the Big Ten before we were in country 24 hours some of us lied on our customs form because we were smuggling drugs and paying off the customs officials with cash. And then Monday, or Sunday afternoon, we were uh, starting the foundation. So uh, we had a great week. Uh, we did divide up into different groups. Part worked in construction, part in the, uh, the medical, part in the orphanage. Uh, but we all worked together as a team. And uh, when we finished up, and uh, celebrated the, uh, the finishing of the house, it was a good time. And that's your house. So uh, this morning we wanted to share with, uh, with the group, if y'all will come up and let each one of them tell you some of the things that they experienced doing their part of the ministry. Okay, well, um, Erica, Olivia, and I, we worked in the orphanage every day. Um, we would go about 9, we would walk down the hill after breakfast, and we would play with them until about 12, we would come back and eat lunch, and then about 1, we would go back down until it was time to eat dinner. Um, But um, there's 14 kids in the orphanage now. Last year when we went, there weren't any kids, but um, now there's 14. The oldest is a girl named Kristana, she's 10, and then there's a little baby boy named Davinsky, and he's probably one or not even one, um, but there's one lady named Dahlia. She's like the mama. She takes care of all of them, and then there's two other ladies there who um, cook for cook all the meals for the kids, um, and that's all there is, and they um, take care of the kids, and they love them, and um, most of the kids, um, some of them are there because they are actual orphans, um, but most of them are there because their parents just can't take care of them. Um, one of my little buddies that I made, G-Lo, him and his two sisters, Edna and Donna, they um, 
are three of eight kids, and their mom died, and they were left with their dad, and their dad just couldn't support all of them, so he took them to their grandma, who already was taking care of ten other kids. And so their grandma um, decided, since they were the youngest three, that she would take them to the orphanage. Um, So it's really touching to know that these kids weren't just abandoned, um, that their parents loved them enough to take them somewhere where they can get food and get um, medical help if they need it, or um, just being loved on and taken care of. Um, And it was a really, it was a real blessing getting to um, hug and play with these kids every day. Um, They're so sweet and they're the happiest kids you'll ever see, um, despite all the things that they've been through. Can't even imagine, but um, I never once saw any of them frown or be upset or anything. They were just laughing all day long every time we (laughs) saw them. Um, But Olivia and Erica are going to tell you things that we did with them. Okay, so whenever we would go to the orphanage, we each kid has their own little binder. And in that binder, um, they have teaching strategies about what to do with them or um, how to do stuff with them. And so um, what we did was they have, like, a big shelf, and the kids just, like, go pick out something, bring it to you. And we built puzzles. Um, we colored. We played with hard Play-Doh. Um, we did matching games. Um, we did board games. We read books. Um, but was really an eye-opener for me was... Um, we were, me and Chris Donna, which was my little friend, we were um, coloring a picture of Scooby-Doo. And, you know, I just sang the Scooby-Doo theme song. And then she looked at me like, what? Like, what did you just say? Like, And it was really weird because you'd think everyone would know Scooby-Doo. It's just, yeah. And then, but she didn't. And it was really an eye-opener for me, how we're so spoiled, but yeah, so here's, <laughs> on the last day on Friday, a cool thing was Olivia made the loom rubber band bracelets, and then my friend from school made um, the string braided bracelets, and we got to hand them out to the kids, and it was like Christmas for them, they were so excited, picking out their favorite colors, and you know, just little gifts like that, it was, it meant so much to them, and one of the cool things is they were so willing to hug on strangers. You know, they had no idea who we were, and they just loved us like we were one of them. And, you know, we only knew we were going to be there for a week, and they didn't know we were going to leave. And they experienced that every week with different teams coming in, and yet they're still so happy. Like Emily said, I never saw any of them crying or whining or anything. They are just so happy and just ready to love on anybody. And they're really smart kids. They knew the alphabet. They sang it all day, and it was it was really cool. And another thing is someone from Mississippi made the pillowcase dresses, so we got to give all the girls the pillowcase dresses. And, you know, some of them would wear a T-shirt, and then the next day another kid would wear the same T-shirt. So they're just recycling clothes. So it was really cool to give them more things to wear. But it was a really cool week to spend time with kids who have nothing, but they seem like they have everything. And that's it. Thank you. Uh, Me and Miss Rebecca were part of the medical clinic. 
Um, a typical day of the medical clinic um, began at 8 o'clock, but we would get up earlier for, for breakfast and to get ready and stuff. Um, you would wake up at 5.30 in the morning and walk outside. It's pitch black, and you hear people singing and rejoicing and talking outside the gate waiting for the medical clinic to open up. Um, it was just a, a surreal moment because you realize those people are waiting for us to open the doors, and um, it was just a cool thing. Um, they would get there about 4.30 or 5.30, and they would have walked for hours to get there at the gate to wait for us. Um, we would hand out cards, and if they had a card, they could go to the medical clinic in a certain order, and um, while they were waiting for the clinic, or waiting for us, I guess, we would do triage and evangelism, which Adam will tell about. Um, we would see 40 to 50 people before lunch and then 20 after lunch. So if they've been there since 4.30 in the morning, they would have waited about 10 hours to see the doctor or to see Tony, the nurse practitioner. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, some of the things that we saw while we were there – um, last year when we went, one thing that Tony, he's the medical missionary there, one thing that he was looking into the future would be starting to deliver babies. And so they started that process during the year since we've been there. So we actually got to be a part of um, a birth. Um, the mom's name was Island, and she was 18. It was her first child, and her boyfriend actually came with her, which they said was really amazing there. And um, so she walked four hours to get to the clinic, and then she got there that evening, and she labored and had her um, beautiful baby boy about 6 o'clock the next morning. And she waited about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then she walked another four hours back home. So, um, and that's what they do. Um, and so it's really a, um, a mission opportunity for Tony, um, to get, to be a part of these births and these deliveries because he's with them for hours and we sang songs, we prayed, we, um, you just got to spend precious time with her sharing Jesus and, um, and then her beautiful baby. And Adam's going to talk about evangelism, but one thing I was thinking about, voodoo is very prevalent there. And they've had um, voodoo priests bring um, their wives in because they were having problems. And they, with their own voodoo medicine, couldn't handle it. And so through Tony, um, he has been able to break through in the voodoo community through medical help that they could not do themselves. And so um, so that's been an opportunity for him. Some of the other things we saw, a lot of skin conditions from um, poor soap, like whatever water they get from the well, they bathe in, they wash their clothes in. And um, so they have a lot of skin problems, especially the children. Um, ulcers just from dirty water, large holes everywhere, and just treating those. Um, one morning we were getting ready for breakfast and we heard somebody wailing and which is kind of unusual but not really and so then we got louder so we went out there and a lady um one way that they travel is they call them tap taps or it's not a motorcycle it's a motorbike it's a little bitty dirt bike and there'll be like six people on there they'll take them down the hill um but her foot had gotten caught in the spoke of the motorbike and so it had just actually basically 
ripped her foot off. It was just hanging on, and he had carried her in up the hill. And so he wrapped it, and, and their form of ambulance is a truck, and they just bring the truck up, whatever, and they got her in the truck, and they took her down the hill. And when you go to the hospital, you didn't just go to the hospital. You have to go to the first hospital, and then you have to go to the second hospital, and then you have to go to the third hospital until they find a hospital that will take them. So... Um, but she she was able to get into the hospital. Some other things we saw at the time that we were there, I forgot to share this in the first service, was the chikungunya, which y'all prayed for us for, was the mosquito-borne virus that um, was going around at that time. High fever, severe joint pain, no cure. Um, and we probably used 10 cans of bug spray. We bathed in it every few hours. But um, And God really protected us from that. As um, Mr. Frank, I think, was the only one that... Um, was affected by the chikungunya, and thankfully he's doing good. But um, as Mr. Johnny Hamlet said this morning, we were talking about the mosquito died when it bit Mr. Frank. So <laughs> that's why the rest of us got sick. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, it was just an awesome week. Um, the people there are just so kind and gracious. Um, they are. They, they smile no matter what, no matter how sick they are. They're just grateful. And the village in Toman that you saw, the... Um, video for doing the offertory. That is a new hope center um, that they, that But God Ministries is building. So we just wanted you to see um, what opportunities are coming up and that will be started. They're raising money for that now. So that hope center will be started. And um, so that was medical. All right. Well, uh, Christian and I are going to talk to you about construction. Uh, basically, we got there on Saturday and toured the Hope Center, did all that stuff, got settled in. And then on Sunday, we just went out there to uh, take a look and see what we were doing. And uh, this year was a little bit different. Usually what we do is we build houses like right outside the compound. But uh, their plan was to build 40 houses, and those 40 houses are now built. So now we're going out into the community more. And so we walked about a mile away from the compound to where... This area is, and it's all just flat. It's just a flat area. When we got there, it was just flat with a bunch of cinder blocks sitting there. And so Sunday evening, we started, we started digging the foundation. And it was about a two-foot-wide, two-foot-deep trench that we had to dig in rocks because the ground there is just rocks. And those diagrams, it kind of made it look like it was really grassy and stuff, but it's, it's not. It's rock. <laughs> and uh, so we, were, we spent... We got that done uh, that night, which was really impressive, they said. And uh, basically what we had to do is we just dug it out and threw everything into the middle. And um, what we were doing there is we were building a house for this homeless man that was just trying to find a place to stay every night, just uh, going around. And um, so we started Sunday evening, and then we got it done uh, Thursday afternoon. We did the dedication that night. But uh, really, after... Sunday evening, we just became the Haitian team helpers, and Christian will tell you more about them. Yeah, after we dug the trench and did all that good work, they just kind of came in and took over, and we just turned into the helpers. We carried concrete. We did little things for them, and we'd also keep company for the little kids that would come to the work site that lived over there. And I know Bethany uh, always came over there, and she would just sit with the kids and love on them. And they just, they love her and her red hair. They just think it's awesome. 
and um, we just we just worked with those guys throughout the week. And even though we don't even speak the same language, they would just kind of communicate with us, like just simple gestures and everything. It was just kind of cool just to, you know, be with them and do what they do in a normal day's work. So that was just really cool. And we got the house done, and that man, the homeless man, now has a house, and he's very grateful for us. And it's thanks to all y'all for sending us out there and supporting us. We just want to thank you for that. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you so much, Church, um, for sending us uh, financial support. Prayers over there, like we definitely felt that tremendously because um, we just we really felt that, and that was really comforting and appreciative. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about evangelism um, throughout the week while we were there. Um, Kent Banks and Bethany Cox, they kind of led evangelism. Um, and what that would look like is we would have the triage going on outside the medical clinic where all these people were sitting. And we would, uh, we would talk to the group of people in the morning, be anywhere from like 20 to 30 people, and just let them know like, hey, Jesus is the reason we're here. And let's tell you a little bit about him and what he's done and, and you know, creation and just like a Jesus 101, basically, in about 10 or 15 minutes. And then open it up to, hey, while you're waiting in line in the, in the sun, basically, we're going to be over here in the shade having one-on-one time if you want. We'll tell you more about Jesus if you have any questions. We just want to talk and hang out with you. And, and in that time, um, we had a lot of people come every day. It could be like five or six or it could be like up to 20 um, some people had like really cool questions. Others just like wanted to hang out because we we're white. Like I don't know, but it was it was a really eye-opening time um, to get to have conversation through a translator. Our translator's name there he is on the left, right there. His name is Franz. He's a phenomenal young man. Loves the Lord so much. Just so joyful. Um, having those one-on-one conversations with people who don't believe the same thing as you like at all you know these people are raised around voodoo temples voodoo villages um they grow up being taught that you know you worship satan because if you don't worship satan um he will take away family members take away your job money um sickness so their whole life you know every day is that they do everything out of fear uh, which is just it's really sad and that was like pulling on our hearts as a team i feel like and so we just got to share the gospel with them and share about grace. And they have, they have a knowledge of Jesus. They have a lot of uh, Catholic roots. You know, back, way back in the slave trade when they were brought over, they were um, forced into Catholicism. They weren't allowed to practice their voodoo religion. Um, but then, yet again, they did anyways. And now that they're free to do whatever, they, they stick with their voodoo religion. But they do have a knowledge of Jesus. But they don't understand grace and his love um, quite like we do. And so we just, we wanted to introduce that to them and also let them feel loved and, um, and special because it's not something they get in their culture. Um, their culture is not a very loving culture like ours can be. Um, so getting to share that with them was just phenomenal. Some of the stories we heard were insane. This lady right here was probably the most joyful lady I've ever met in my life. 
Um, she kept telling me that I look like Jesus, and I was like, I'm not Jesus by any means. Uh, but she had a really cool testimony. In 2010, the earthquake happened, and she was in the third story of a building, and the building collapsed. She fell all the way to the ground level outside. She looked up. Uh, after she had rubble on top of her. She climbed out. The building was entirely gone. Um, cars, everyone around was dead. There was not a single person that survived around her. And she said, she's like, Jesus saved me. I know Jesus saved me, and he's real. And ever since then, she said that she has loved the Lord. And she's just so joyful all the time. She ran up to me with, like, a huge smile, and I was like, all right, you're cool. Like, what do you want to do? Like, it was just awesome. So, um, and she just kept saying I look like Jesus, so that was interesting. Um, But, yeah, we just, I feel like we... Like, our group, the Lord did a lot through our group that week um, as far as, like, breaking into that spiritual realm of that, that dark voodoo culture. Um, and I feel like next year, when we go back, because we will, um, that we're going to have a lot of really cool stories about people giving their lives to Christ. Um, one thing that was, that was almost frustrating, but it taught me a lot of patience, is that was, as we're talking to these people and they have an understanding of Christ— they understand him, but yet they, they want to worship Satan as well. They're kind of caught in between, and they're very confused. Um, they don't quite understand that you can't serve you know, two masters. And so they, they do serve both in a weird way. And it's, it's sad because it's confusing for them. Um, but uh, you know, it teaches you a lot of patience when you're, you're, you're telling someone about the gospel. And you want them to be saved so bad. And they're almost getting it. They're almost grasping it. And you're like, you, might, you, like, you need to give your life. Like, go ahead and do this. And, and I'm, I'm learning, like, you know what? Like, that's not necessarily my place to try to save somebody, you know? And that, that goes for the same, like, in the States. When we see somebody that's so close, we, just, we almost want to save them ourselves. But we've got to understand that our calling is not to save people. Our calling is to share, you know? We're, we're the, the messenger, and so that was a really cool lesson I feel like I learned and took away from that. Um, but we did our part. God planted seeds through us. And so next year when we go back, hopefully like, we'll see a lot of lives change. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, like, I know we will see lives change. Um, but once again, I just want to thank you all for like, your support and everything, and I can't wait till next year. So on Wednesday, we had a fair for all the Haitians who live in the village, and we gave each person that walked in 25 tickets, and we had different games and popcorn, and each game was one ticket. So we had a cakewalk, a frisbee toss, ring toss, uh, cornhole, just different games like that, and each game, uh, we gave them a prize, and the prizes ranged from pencils to stickers to Mardi Gras beads to old McDonald's toys, and Um, I got to help put together the games, and I was like, they're not going to like this. They're just going to pick up the toy and then put it down. They're going to think it's dumb, but literally everyone from tiny babies to moms and dads and grandparents were so excited to get an old McDonald's toy, and it was really cool to see how something so generic and something we would probably throw away in the States meant so much to them, and they took it to heart, and, you know, they were so excited to receive it, Um, and in Haiti, they don't know what a line is. So we had to try and push them back. They still wouldn't listen because they were just so excited to see what we had for them. And they would get so excited for the toys that they would just give us the ticket and demand the toy and not really play the game. Um, So after a while, we just started handing them out and get attacked. You know, the beads were all 
jumbled up into a, a giant mess. So I had to like hide in the shade to, you know, I also wanted to be in the shade too, but just to go in the shade and, you know, try and untangle all the beads. Cause I was getting attacked by, you know, five year olds and 45 year olds. And, but it was really cool just to see how something so, so simple and so cheap was so expensive to them and so cool. Um, so then Emily's going to talk about the second half. Okay. Um, after probably about like two hours while we were in the compound, we decided to take them down to the soccer field that they have down the hill. And me and Julie were carrying the um, we were carrying a cooler, and we opened up the cooler, and we had water balloons in there, and we threw water balloons at a couple of kids, and it was like a herd of elephants charging at us, like they were diving into the cooler trying to get the water balloons. And um, so they really enjoyed that. Then we had a slip and slide. I think it was the first slip and slide ever in Haiti. But um, it was awesome. The kids loved it. Um, adults were sliding. Kids were sliding. Everybody was going down. Um, and they loved it. Then we had sack races and we had spoon egg races. I don't know what you call those. Um, but they loved those. Everybody was getting into it. Um, they were just so joyful and so happy. Um, one thing that happened while we were cleaning up after it was over, there was probably like that much soap left in one of the um, dial soap containers that we had brought down there for the slip and slide. And two women were literally fighting over the leftover soap. And men were um, cutting up the tarp that we used, and they were taking it back to their houses um, to do whatever they needed it for. But um, they're just so grateful for the littlest things. And um, it was just really touching and just really um, good to spread joy and to see everybody smiling and happy. So. So in closing... Um, we would not have gone, we could not have gone without you. I think it was in January. Um, I stood up here with a yellow rooster on a piece of paper and said, we're going to have a chicken queue. And, um, Mike and Marion cooked the chicken for us and it was awesome. And it was to raise money to go to Haiti and we needed $5,000 to build a house. So we came before you and we said, we're going to have a chicken queue to raise money. And we raised $5,000. Y'all built a house in Haiti. And so we can say we were there, we built it, but you built it. It was you. And we thank you for letting us be your hands and your feet, for letting us go and build the house for you. Because without you, we couldn't have done it. We couldn't even have gone without you. There's so many ways that you supported us financially, prayer, supplies, medications, um, the list is endless. And so thinking back about that and thinking about where we've come from, I was thinking about when I was GAs, Act Teens, Baptist Young Women, WMU, I mean, the mission organizations that were a foundation of this church and how it shaped us and gave us the desire to go. See Renee back there. She's making me cry. Um, but y'all, we are a missions church, and I'm so thankful that you taught us about missions and that you allow us to do missions. Um, from those growing up to Mr. Chris taking us on mission trips every year to a state, to another area that needs help, um, helping us grow our children to love missions, um, to Emily. Um, she's going to spend a month in Haiti next year because um, she thinks she wants to be a missionary. So, I mean, God is growing missions through our church. 
We are a church that loves people, and I'm so thankful for that because you've taught us how to love. And so we just say thank you because we couldn't have gone without you. And then thinking ahead to our new church, our new church is not about us. Our new church is a mission. We are on mission for Palmetto Baptist Church. I mean, for Palmetto, for Noonan, for Fairburn, for wherever. We are on a mission field, and that's what our new church is about. That soccer field, that that um, football field, whatever we use it for, the baseball field, that's a mission. Our gym for upward, for upward soccer, upward whatever. I mean, we are a mission field, and God has planted us here. So we can go to Haiti, we can go to Arkansas, and we can stay right here in Palmetto, Georgia. And we can be on missions right here for him. Um, Olivia's um, Sunday school class who made those 200 or something bracelets that they took um, to Miss Kathy West doing food drives to our food pantry, to our, our our backpack blessing that we're doing for kids. I mean, we are a missions church, and I'm so thankful. And I thank you for having a heart for missions and for letting us go for you. So on behalf of our Haiti mission team, y'all stand. We thank y'all very, very much. Thank you.